0: The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. One of the most deceptive words that's being bandied about in the worlds of politics and faith is progressive. Progressive sounds innocuous and positive because making progress should be a good thing. A definition of progressive is to be involved in continuous improvement, but there's a dark side of the word and it's all part of the dumbing down of Christianity to emphasize only the supernatural or warm and fuzzy feelings over facts, foolish controversies, and social justice more than this word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. We need the supernatural power of God in our lives, but not at the expense of truth. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. I always thought the word progressive meant making progress, as when a society goes forward and betters itself and the people benefit all around. But the word progressive has taken on a more deceptive definition to convey not just liberal ideas, but subversive and even seditious activities. Social progressivism is the view that governmental practices should be adjusted as society evolves, and now many so-called progressives in the United States even want to trample upon the American Constitution. Progressive ideas are tied to a globalist agenda to promote a one-world government and are being indoctrinated into the media and education everywhere especially within the European Union. Also, within many churches, there's a push for Christianity to evolve into a social gospel that goes beyond the teachings of this Bible. Recently, I read an article by Elisa Childers, Five Signs Your Church May Be Heading Toward Progressive Christianity. And the signs she mentioned include a reduced view of the Bible's authority, an emphasis upon feelings over facts, redefining essential doctrines, and emphasizing social justice rather than the efficacy of the cross. The new so-called progressive Christianity is a paradigm shift away from the historic faith. The progressives aim to push Christianity into the world's mold. In a so-called progressive church, God is nothing but love, and He wouldn't dare punish sinners in hell. Progressives say, we just need to love everybody. In these so-called progressive churches, the notion of a literal hell is offensive. A progressive church says the Bible's position on marriage is outmoded and needs to come kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Well, I'd like to mention other danger signs associated with so called progressive Christianity. Another danger sign would be the appalling lack of interest in Bible prophecy and the nation of Israel, despite the fact that many Bible prophecies concerning the nation of Israel have been fulfilled in our generation. These progressive churches are so earthly minded that they're not paying attention to what's going on in heavenly signs and in the fulfillment of Bible prophecies in the Middle East. There's too much emphasis upon celebrities and experts and worldly wisdom. It's very difficult sometimes even to di- differentiate between these Christians and secular people. Having a blind spot to the signs of the times results in churches going down the erroneous road of replacement theology. I tended to assume that most evangelicals already know what replacement theology is, but just the other day, a Christian on Facebook asked me, for a definition of replacement theology because she'd never heard of it. Well, it's supersessionism, and that's a fancy way of saying the false claim that the church has inherited all of God's promises and covenants to the Jewish people. Those who promote this heresy tend to say outlandish anti-Semitic statements such as God is finished with the Jews. So, supersessionism or Replacement theology holds that the Christian church has succeeded the Israelites as the definitive people of God and that the New Testament has superseded the Hebrew Scriptures. Any progressive church that doesn't recognize all of the authority of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation will fall into the replacement theology trap. You see, the progressive churches carry this baggage of replacement theology that hopelessly divides Christians and Jews and undermines the Jewish people, who are, after all, our elders in the faith. The Bible has a lot to say about honoring our father and our mother. And the Jewish people are, of course, our patriarchs and our matriarchs. Without them, Christianity has no origins and can't explain itself without them. For as Jesus himself said, salvation proceeds from the Jews. They are the roots and we are the crafted in branches of God's olive tree. So the false doctrine of replacement theology results in dangerous anti-Semitism in the churches, which grieves the heart of God. So-called progressives believe the church is marching on without God fulfilling His covenants with the Jewish people. They don't consider the many promises in the Word of God that define the God of Israel as a covenant-keeping God. He promised to reinstate the Jewish people and the nation of Israel in the last days prior to the second coming of Jesus. And Paul wonderfully explains these promises in Romans chapter 11. Jesus predicted the return of the Jews to Jerusalem in Luke 21-24. And He said that they wouldn't see Him again until they summons Him. So Jesus was, in effect, prophesying that the Jewish people will, in fact, see Him again after they receive the outpouring of the Spirit of grace and supplications upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and when they welcome him back to the nation with the greeting, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many verses in the Hebrew Scriptures promise that God will restore the nation of Israel after 2,000 years of their wandering in the nations. And Hosea 6, 2 prophesies, come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, in Bible code language, two days is 2,000 years. After two days, as passage says, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight amen. And it's happening, people, right before our eyes. Just the other day, a sales clerk was helping me in a store, and she was complaining about pain in her knees. So I told her that the Lord could, of course, heal her, and that we've seen many people healed of all sorts of things, including weak knees. And she said, oh, yes, she believes that the Lord is a healer, because the pastors in her church preach healing and see miracles. While I was glad to hear that her local church demonstrates the power of God, I asked her if the pastors also teach on Bible prophecy and the significance of the nation of Israel. But she hesitated and drew a blank. Apparently those topics weren't on the spiritual radar screen of her church. You see, it's a danger sign when God's covenants with Israel are not taught in a church. When a congregation is kept in the dark about what I call Israology, that is studying the past, present, and future of Israel, then the flock of God is unaware of God's timeline and they're exposed to potential deception from lack of information. And they're not learning to discern the times and the signs that Jesus told us to watch for. And they're not hearing teachings on the full counsel of God and his plans for these last days. You see, on the one hand, you might find a minister who's big on Bible prophecy, but he may neglect the healing ministry. Or he might teach on the supernatural and divine healing, but then fail to pray for the peace of Jerusalem." That's why in our ministry we strive to preach all the counsel of God because in whatever area of God's Word that we lack revelation, in that area, we'll be weak and ineffective. Teaching is important. Evangelism is important. Healing is important. Understanding the times and the significance of the rebirth of the nation of Israel are also important. All of these matters are important. But we've seen the dumbing down of history in our Western nations by the progressives. And we have also seen the dumbing down of history and the revision of history in the Middle East so that many in the churches tragically don't understand that God is restoring his Jewish people at this time. And many of the Muslims don't understand that God is, in fact, favoring the return of the Jews at this time. And some even foolishly fight God in opposing Israel with anti-Semitic boycotts and sanctions. The world loudly promotes BDS, Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions. Yet, in this marvelous prophetic chapter, in the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 12, God says, in the last days, he'll seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. At the present moment, the Lord is fighting for Zion. There are some Christians who don't believe, and I wonder if they're really real Christians, but there are a number who don't believe that Israel is a fulfillment of God's prophetic word. But I believe that the recreation of Israel is the word of God being fulfilled, And that means if Israel is threatened, the Almighty will be forced into a confrontation with the antagonistic nations surrounding. Can you see why we need constantly to pray for Israel and also for the nations, all the nations, that they don't oppose the Almighty? Well, another red flag in so-called progressive churches is the danger of becoming bogged down with silly and foolish controversies. The Bible warns us to avoid foolish controversies. The Apostle Paul said to one of his protégés, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, don't get involved in foolish discussions about genealogies, spiritual pedigrees, or in arguments and quarrels about obedience to Jewish laws. These things, Paul said, are a waste of time. So on the one hand, we want to keep up with Bible prophecy and the recovery of our Hebraic roots, but we also must avoid dogmatic requirements about Sabbath keeping, dietary laws, and how to pronounce the Hebrew names of Jesus and God. These controversies are not essential to salvation and can become very divisive. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that the law and the prophets are summed up in the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And the second, he said, is like this love your neighbor as yourself. He said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now there's another disturbing trend that we have to watch due to the proliferation of internet sites and a parade of books about trips to heaven. It seems that everybody and his brother is claiming to have gone to heaven these days and returned to earth with fresh revelations. Self-exalting visions and puffed up fantasies about angels, heaven, demons, and experiences in hell are proliferating. Many talk about how they're the only ones who've received a special revelation. There's a whole genre of books called Heavenly Tourism, in which people make fantastic allegations about out-of-body experiences, spending hours or days in heaven and returning to earth with messages for mankind. These books are often bestsellers, but many contradict biblical doctrines. Now, on the one hand, the last days are to be characterized by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, with old men and young men seeing dreams and visions and so forth. But we're supposed to test everything. And in order to test visions and revelations, we have to study this Word of God from cover to cover. And if a vision or a dream doesn't measure up to the truth of this Word, discard it. The danger is that many books and revelations on the internet contain non-biblical concepts. New Age deception is being popularly received within the Christian mainstream. And it's surely an affront to God's Word if a believer seeks extra-biblical evidence about the afterlife. After all, Jesus himself rebuked our craving for such things. If you look into Luke 16, Jesus taught about a beggar named Lazarus and a rich man who both died. Now the former rich man was in Hades in torment, and he looked up and he saw Father Abraham far away with Lazarus comforted by his side. He cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. I'm in agony in this fire. Just send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now remember, this is Jesus telling us this account. But Abraham replied, Son, in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here with me, and you're in agony. And besides, there's a great impassable gulf fixed between us, and nobody can cross over. Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to warn my family. I have five brothers, and I don't want them to come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. But listen to Abraham's reply. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rose from the dead. Think about that. Yet accounts of people dying and coming back to preach are proliferating. Accounts of near-death experiences are too numerous to catalog. Internet sites seem to be a dime a dozen of so-called prophets and apostles who claim to have routinely been caught up in the third heaven, like the Apostle Paul. And now they flaunt their celestial secrets. But many of their descriptions are so mundane and even silly as to cheapen heaven, if that were possible. You see, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And Paul said he wasn't allowed to share the things that he saw and heard. They were too sacred to speak. Yet the Internet prophets brag and boast about their visions and revelations. They often share them hot off the presses. Well, there's no room for pride in the body of Messiah. It's something that we have to fight continually because the first beatitude that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount was humility. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's humility. But Christianity today is feeding on pride. Progressive Christianity with its life coaches is peddling pride with the exaltation of individuals. And if we're fascinated with being caught up to heaven, we can take a trip there anytime by reading and studying the book of Revelation. The Bible promises a a special blessing when you read that book. The apostle John's trip to heaven has all the authority of scripture. And unlike Paul, John was actually commanded by the Lord to write down what he saw. John's visit to heaven's throne room is described with a majesty that's in a league, far above the heavenly tourism of the modern bestsellers. In Revelation 4.3, John wrote, And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper in a carnelian stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. A similar vision of God is recorded in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 28, which says there was a radiance around him and it had the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Now, a normal rainbow consists of the seven colors of the spectrum. But perhaps as John gazed upon God's rainbow in the book of Revelation, the green was more outstanding. Or perhaps God's rainbow emanating from his presence, appears like an emerald that flashes a myriad of colors. When believers reach eternity, we'll see for ourselves this holy wonder. But in the meantime, we do understand the rainbow's meaning. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. He's faithful to his word, to his promises, and he's faithful to his covenants. Now I do want carefully to acknowledge that there is a genuine movement of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. And we certainly don't want to undermine that in any way. After all, one of my books recounted the phenomenon of Muslims experiencing genuine dreams and visions of Jesus as part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. That's awesome and it's amazing. But I'm pointing out today that there is a prophetic church that we should be aiming to achieve. The deceptive so-called progressive church preaches new age eras and liberation theology and behaves as if this world is just going to continue indefinitely without any thought of the glorious intervention of the second coming. No, God's not going to allow Satan to be the god of this world indefinitely, and he's certainly not going to let mankind Rule this planet indefinitely. God has a timetable that's rapidly coming to the climax of the soon return of Jesus from heaven. He'll rule this world for a thousand years in a reign that will vindicate his kingship, messiahship, and lordship. Unlike the so-called progressive church, the prophetic church is in tune with the Holy Spirit. The true prophetic church understands the times like the children of Issachar to know what Israel and the church should do in these tumultuous last days. The prophetic church is very busy preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. The prophetic church is faithfully continuing to fulfill the great commission of Jesus in Acts 1.8 to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The prophetic church is truly progressive in the sense that it has progressed from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and is returning to God's eternal holy city, Jerusalem, not Rome. And we're bringing the gospel torch back to Jerusalem. While busy bringing in the end time harvest of precious souls, the prophetic church also keeps an eye on the horizon, watching for the rapture and the second coming. The prophetic church realizes that time is a gift from God and isn't to be wasted, that every hour counts while souls are transitioning into eternity. The prophetic church cherishes all the gifts of the Spirit and sees them as supernatural equipment to keep the body of Messiah pure, free, and walking in divine health. That is, as much as is humanly possible despite our many frailties, foibles, and tendencies towards doubt and unbelief. But the truly prophetic church works hard to believe God and to purge out doubt. The prophetic church is cutting edge. It keeps its eye upon Jerusalem, knowing that specific Bible prophecies are coming to pass. The prophetic church is watching on the walls, praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and interceding for the outpouring of the spirit of grace and supplications upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The so-called progressive church, which is really an apostate church, claims that there are no sacred cows in Christianity. But the prophetic church is recovering truth that has been lost or kicked aside. The prophetic church is not afraid to recover its Hebraic roots This is not to say that Judaizing within Christianity isn't dangerous. Legalistic believers can be very divisive and, quite frankly, sometimes arrogant and haughty. But the prophetic church does acknowledge that salvation has proceeded from the Jews, as Jesus said, and that he will return soon to restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. And now that the gospel has been preached in every nation, and untold numbers of Gentiles have been saved over the past millennia, now the times of the Gentiles are almost fulfilled. Soon the last remaining Gentile who is to be redeemed will experience a saving knowledge of the Messiah Jesus. And then finally the time will come for all of Israel to be saved. What a glorious day that's going to be then truly God's moral law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We're living in an extended period of grace because the church age is rapidly culminating and Israel is on the rise again. I hope with all of my heart that everybody within the sound of my voice is ready for the second coming of Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time to call on the name of the Lord, for the Bible assuredly promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans one four declares that Jesus was shown to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So believe on him, cling to him. There's safety in Jesus, just as there was only safety in the ark. In Noah's day. A hymn sums up just how salvation works. It says, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. Amen. Well, I invite you to stay in touch through social media and also at our website, exploits.tv, where you can subscribe to our free electronic magazine, Exploits, and receive weekly email updates. And at our website, all of our previous videos are available around the clock, as well as an archive of articles on end-time topics, faith, and healing. And now you can download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your favorite app store to watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. Our app also offers details of our upcoming events and a daily Bible reading plan. And so, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha. Shalom.